We are in a series entitled, Lead Me to the Cross. And we're majoring on the last few chapters of the Gospel of John because the whole last half of John covers like the last 24 hours of Jesus' time before the cross. But His entire life, and I've said to the, this to you all along, His entire life from the time He was born of a virgin un, until the cross was walking toward and leading to the cross. And I told you that the story that I remembered that, that made me think about that title, Lead Me to the Cross, is the young boy who was lost in London, and when the man found him and tried to help him find home, he mentioned a church. And he asked him, is that the church with the big steeple with the cross at the top? And he said, lead me to the cross. I can get home from there. I've never forgotten that story. And you can say that the last half of the Gospel of John is a lead me to the cross theme. And that's where we are. Now, last week we talked about the personal prayer in John chapter 17 of the Lord on His way to the cross. He was at that point, they had stepped out of the building, perhaps in the shadow of the wall or on the portico at the front of the building. They had not yet left. And then in John chapter 18, verse 1, you see that they left from there and they went across the brook Kidron and to a garden. Now, the Garden of Gethsemane and his prayer in the garden is not recorded in the Gospel of John, oddly enough. But what we see then, and what I want you to see today, and remember, we're talking about lead me to the cross, and we're talking about from the garden to the cross. Now, the problem with this is, uh, I'm, I'm preaching to you a chapter and a half sometime in, during the, the message this morning. And so I've got a lot of material for you to think about, but I just want you to remember that our theme is Jesus on the way to the cross, and we're thinking about the things that happened to Him, and what we learn from that, what we see in Him, and what we learn for ourselves in His journey to the cross. I want you to notice the first thing in that passage is a personal betrayal. A personal betrayal. In, in those verses, it talks about Judas Iscariot coming and he, is, he betrays the Lord. He comes with soldiers, with lanterns, with spikes, and he betrays the Lord in the garden. Uh, I want you, in those passages of Scripture, and I'm going to, uh, there are too many Scriptures for me to read everything. I just want to hit the high points. I want you to see what Jesus knew. Understand His knowledge in all of this. Because it says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to Him. That's huge to me, Delane. He knew that He would be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. In fact, He had prophesied that He would be betrayed. He knew what would happen. He came forward and He said to them, whom do you seek? You know, Benjamin, that means he could have gone somewhere else. The Bible says that Judas knew that place because he had been there often, and he could have gone, Jesus could have gone somewhere else, John, and just avoided the whole thing. But he knew what was going to happen, and he chose to do what God intended, 
and follow the Father's plan for his life. We need to realize that bad things happen to good people. We need to realize that life is not easy. And the truth is, life is not safe. And none of us are going to get out of this life alive. Understand that. And we need to be ready by faith in God to face life full on. Face on. And quit trying to escape every difficulty in life. And quit trying to blame somebody else for what's happening to us. We stand by faith in Jesus Christ. He knew what was going to happen, and yet He came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? Notice His boldness. Uh, the fact that he came forward and spoke, uh, Tracy, I get the idea, that means you know he's surrounded by his disciples, he's surrounded by the eleven, Judas is on the other side now, he's joined the enemy, and he's surrounded by the eleven, but Tim, he steps out in front of them all. Notice his boldness to step forward. Uh, when he did, he, who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am He. I like that. I am He. Judas, who betrayed Him, was standing with them. He boldly faced the Roman soldiers. By the way, it's only in the Gospel of John that it's mentioned that Roman soldiers were there. Uh, there were both the Jewish soldiers and officers and Roman soldiers, and Jesus stepped boldly forward and proclaimed, if you'll allow me, I am the I am. I, I love that, His boldness to step forward. We need to understand, I've already said this, life is a risk and danger is unavoidable. None of us will get out of it alive we must face the challenges of life head on and be bold in our faith in God. My faith is in Jesus. We can be bold in our faith. We do not trust the government. We do not trust the media. We do not trust... Well, okay, our trust is not in the government. Our trust is not in man. Our trust and our faith and our dependence is in God. Let us be bold in our faith in God. I love this. When Jesus said to them, I am He, they drew back and fell to the ground. Uh, I love that. John, I got a smiley face in every Bible I own. I've drawn a smiley face by that. Here is a whole contingent of Roman soldiers of the Jewish the soldiers who belong to the priest and to the temple, the political Jews, here they all are. Here is Judas, the betrayer, and when he speaks, I am, they fall back. I don't know, Teresa, I, I don't know if that is because Judas had told them, you need to be careful of this man. He's the guy who raises the dead. He's the guy who cures the lepers. He's the guy who makes the blind see the, and the mute be able to speak. This man is powerful. And when they realize this is the one we've come after, I don't know, 
Wendy, if it was because they knew of His power that they fell back in fear, or maybe it is, there were enough Jews in the crowd, Dennis, they knew what I am meant. They knew that that was the name of Yahweh, the Je- what we say Jehovah, that is the name of God, and He uses that I am in the Gospel of John again and again, And maybe they recognized who they were really dealing with. I know this, whether they did or not, one day men will. Every man everywhere will recognize the great I Am and they will fall on their knees before Him. It's just cool to me that in the garden He said, I Am, and they fell down. Notice His boldness. But also I want you to notice His intervention. His knowledge, His boldness, His intervention. For those of you who actually have the notes in there and are filling them in, I'll do better next week about distributing those uh, on our website so people can use them. He said, I told you, here it is again, I am He. I told you I am. The He is supplied, by the way, for emphasis It is really just, I told you that I am. So, if you seek me, let these men go. He's surrounded by his apostles, his disciples, the eleven. And he intervenes on their behalf. The scripture says, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. That, that's the prophecy, but he said this to fulfill that prophecy. He cared about his followers, and he intervened on behalf of his followers. You, you do understand, don't you, that that's what Jesus is doing for you right now? You're praying for protection. I'm praying for protection from the coronavirus. I'm praying for our nation, and I'm praying for our church. And I hope it means something to you that your pastor's praying for you. But it ought to mean so much more to know that Jesus, the Son of God, is intervening on your behalf and our behalf before the Father right now. Jesus is fighting for you. It's one reason I love the fact that we sang that song, the theme from the retreat, fighting for us. That's a... That's a very special song for those of us who were at the retreat, the missionary retreat in Cyprus. But I want you to know, it doesn't just apply to the preachers and to the missionaries. That means you. Jesus is fighting for you. Now, it's also true that Simon Peter thought he was going to fight for God. Like, God needs defending. Uh, By the way, if, if you're into apologetics, God bless you. But i got news for you. God does not have to be defended. He is capable of defending Himself. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, I'm trying not to get caught up in biblical trivial pursuit, but it's so cool, Samantha, all the different things that John points out that none of the other gospel writers pointed out, and this is one of them. Only John tells us 
that it was Peter who cut off his ear. Do you know that? That's only in the Gospel of John. It's only John who tells him tells us that his name was Malchus. That's I'm sorry, that's just cool. I can't read this without throwing that out. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Okay, get this. Understand what he's doing. He not only intervened for his disciples by stepping in front of them and speaking for the crowd, he intervened for them by saying, let them go. And now he turns around and Kai, he intervenes on behalf of the first soldier in line. You realize when Peter stepped out with the sword, Chris, he, he got the first soldier in line. This has to be, Tim, the most gung-ho in the crowd, right? Everybody else has fallen back, and the first to get up was a guy by the name of Malchus. And Peter, because he's the first one coming on the attack, Peter cuts off his ear, and Jesus intervenes on behalf of the guy who was most interested in attacking him and capturing him. Wow. What kind of example is that for us? He intervened even on behalf of his enemies. And in fact, Dr. Luke tells us, John doesn't tell us this, but Dr. Luke tells us that he restored Malchus' ear. By the way, for the evolutionists, the ear didn't have to grow back. Ears don't grow back. He who spoke the world into existence can put an ear back from nothing. I've always, I've, I've wondered, I've speculated a little bit about this. Keaton, is it possible that the other ear was laying on the ground and now Malchus has got a new ear and he walked away from the ear laying on the ground? I don't know. But God can do that. He is not limited in what He can do. But the example is that He intervened even on behalf of the enemy. So notice His Knowledge. Notice his boldness and notice his intervention. We're talking about the betrayal in the garden. But it was not only a personal betrayal, but in, at that point he also, during this process from the garden to the cross, he also endured a devastating denial. Now I have to be careful here because this is a sermon within a sermon and I can easily get distracted and I don't want to do that. You know. You've heard this preached before. All of you know, I hope, that Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him three times. And that's exactly what happened. It says that the servant girl at the door, by the way, that's another John only, that she was a doorkeeper, said to Peter, you also are not one of this, of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, no, not me. He said, I am not. I am not. That's his first denial. His second denial then, chapter 18, verse 17. Now Simon, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they, and it's in other Gospels it says a man, or, but the idea is that there was more than one who said to him, 
You are also not one of His disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. No, I'm not, I'm not one of those. That's, that's two, Peter. You said you would never do that. Jesus said you'd deny thrice, three times. That's two. His third denial. One of the servants of the high priest. This is Gospel of John only. A relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. This is a family member of Malchus. And how is it that John knows this? Okay, Lynn, don't get distracted. Don't get off the point. But it says in that long passage that I'm skip hopping through that Peter followed from a distance, but another disciple went ahead of him who was known by the high priest. That's John. John went first and led him in. That's how John talks about himself in his own gospel. And John was the guy, the reason that John recorded that the man's name who had his ear cut off was Malchus is because John knew him. And he knew him well enough to know that the guy who said it the third time was a relative of Malchus. I'm sorry, I just can't pass that up. That didn't cost you any extra except a few minutes. Did I not see you in the garden with him? Well, hello. You recognize, you remember the face of the man who cut your cousin's ear off. Peter again denied it. And at once, the rooster croaked. That's what Jesus said would happen. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Oh, not me, Lord. But he did. And so my sermon within a sermon is this. There's a powerful sermon preached by a rooster. That gives... Go ahead and laugh, Kelly. That gives me great hope, okay? If God can, can give a great sermon and preach a great sermon through a rooster, then there's hope for me. Number one, point number one in the rooster's sermon, be careful about boasting as to what you will or will not do. No, I'll never deny you, Lord. And he just denied him three times, just as Jesus said. Be careful when you say, I'll never do that. You see somebody else sin, somebody else fall, and you say, that'll never happen to me. Be careful. Be careful about boasting about what you will or will not do. Second point in the rooster's sermon is when it does happen, wake up. That's what a rooster does, right? He wakes you up. And the sermon from the rooster was, wake up, look what you just did. We need to be cognizant enough. Have you ever done something really dumb and you didn't realize that you just messed up until much later when the consequences Delane showed up? I think we need to be careful about boasting what we will and will not do. And when we've messed up, we need to wake up to it and confess it immediately. By the way, when the rooster crowed, Peter recognized where he was and he went out and wept bitterly. 
the difference in Peter and Judas. You see, I talked about a personal betrayal. That was Judas Iscariot. But there's also that devastating denial. Devastating to Peter. And that's the difference. Peter was devastated when he realized what he had just done. And he wept bitterly. Listen, when you know that you have sinned and you have messed up, you recognize where you are and what you've done. Remember that Jesus majors in forgiveness and redemption. Listen, just because you've sinned, just because you've backslidden, just because you've messed up, does not mean that God cannot use you. He desperately wants to redeem you. You may have been running from God. Maybe you're not here in the crowd and you're just watching the video. I'm speaking to you and you know that you've been running from God. You've never been saved. You've heard the gospel. You've rebelled again and again. Listen to me. There is mercy from Jesus. There is forgiveness in Jesus. Jesus majors on forgiveness and redemption. He wants to redeem your life. The other part of the sermon goes back to the prophecy. Jesus said, Satan, Peter, Satan desires you to sift, desires to sift you like wheat. You're going to be sifted. But when you are converted, I'm glad that he put that in. That was a promise of redemption to Peter. When you are converted, go and encourage your brethren. When you do mess up, don't let it knock you out of service. Don't hide out. Use your experience to instruct and to teach. To teach and instruct to encourage others. Don't let the coronavirus go to waste. Learn from this. Encourage others. One of the things that I hate more than anything else about watching the news and reading this junk on Facebook, I'm ready to get off of Facebook, because there are so many people who are peddling fear. This is a time for faith. And I want you to understand the, that hope has not died. There is hope in Jesus Christ. He is our hope. And you can trust in Him. We need to be encouragers during this time. We need not to be, we should not be peddling fear. We ought to be sharing faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Well, okay. So there was that personal betrayal. There was that devastating denial. But there is also an unjust trial. Again, I have to be very careful here because I could. there is so much and I'm trying to just take you to the cross one step at a time or maybe what I'm doing right now, Tim, is a leap at a time because I'm covering so much Scripture. But I just want you to think about the unjust trial. It is unjust because there is no justice. Not with any of the three people who judged him in the Gospel of John. Now we know from other Gospels, 
He also stood before Herod Agrippa. But we're in the Gospel of John chapters 18 and 19. And so in this account, we only mention three of those. First of all, there was Annas the power broker. Annas the power broker. You see, it says, So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews, by the way, that lets you know who we're talking about. There was a crowd of them, Roman soldiers and Jewish soldiers and important officers who were a part of that crowd. They arrested Jesus and bound Him. (laughs) That's sort of a joke, right? They bound Him. First they led Him to Annas, for He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now you need to understand that Annas has been the high priest before, and I think, according to history, he will be again. But right now, he, he has arranged, because he is a power broker, he has arranged for his son-in-law, Caiaphas, to be the puppet priest in, in the position of actually doing the judgment. There's very little said about what Caiaphas does in the Gospel of John, because John knew that the real power was this guy. This is the power player. He's the guy who's behind the 